good, good. All right. Welcome back to the Strongest Star Podcast. You are listening to Sophie Lane and Lydia Mackay, and we are, I always say this, but we're excited. And oh, my goodness, we, we are. We are so energized and so excited. To We've got real that, reasons this time. I know. I'm just almost just, I, oh, oh. it's so crazy because I, when I found out this was happening, so when I found <laughs> out I was moving to Sydney, when I oh. confirmed, Oh I just hardly slept for two nights because I was so excited. And that's for a lot of reasons, lots of reasons. I'm super excited. I don't think I've said it, but I'm going to be working for The Running Room in Clavelli and I move in Roselle and I'm so excited. So basically just the dream. I, I, I'm i just so excited. I can't <laughs> wait to treat runners all day, every day, work with runners, hang out with, with – I just – I'm very excited <laughs> – and also, of course, um, the big draw card to Sydney is Sophie Lane. <laughs> and so I get card. to annoy you all the time. <laughs> the big draw card. <laughs> and anyway, when I first found out, slash decided, confirmed, locked it all in, I just hardly slept for two nights, which compromised my recovery and my ripple. But anyway, since then, I have managed to get my sleep routine a little bit back. Thank Great. goodness. Why but is this? now I think oh. I'm just wired again because. Oh, I am. Oh, I didn't sleep too. last night. Oh, well, I'm, it must be in the air. It Lydia is in, in the, the air. air. Lydia is in the air. Lydia is almost in the suburbs. In the Oh, you know what? Speaking of suburbs, I got my Sunrun bib in the mail and it's 2250. Nice. Does that ring a bell? Oh, Central Coast. My old postcode. Isn't that so well, sweet? Our old postcode. Well, it's 2251, but I'm going to claim it as mine. But oh. anyway, it was really nice. But. We're going to have similar postcodes soon and that makes me so excited and happy and I just, oh, I can't believe it's all happening. It's really, really crazy and we're going to be basically neighbours. I know. We are literally going to be so, so neighbours. <laughs> I um, have noticed as well, just back on the excitement thing, mm. I'm not making much sense the last week or couple of weeks. I feel like every time I'm talking, people are like, oh, so how are you feeling about moving and packing and all these things and I just like talk for two minutes straight with not really much sense and I'm like yeah I'm just like you know like excited and like sad and like all the emotions and all the things and I just like ramble for two minutes saying nothing so I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. I was just gonna say I feel like that's just the usual isn't it 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 is a little bit but it's heightened and I'm looking forward to being a bit more slow and relaxed Mm. so came for that in saying that, there's also so much sadness in my heart. On the way to this podcast, I did a little session at the pool. I say mm-hmm. session. It was like a 1,500-meter swim. It was quite quite a short little dip. I did a few little sprints and it was very good. Ooh. But as I was leaving the podcast, I mean, as I was leaving the pool, <laughs> I mean, my brain's a bit as yeah. I was leaving the pool. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> no, you said that to the like the pool workers. Thanks for listening. No. Oh. No, I'm just, what? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm imagining you leaving the pool, oh. waving to the people saying thanks for listening, like listening to my splashes. Is this, have you said it wrong? Have you said just story no, delete me. Gosh, okay, put me okay. in a bin. Backwards. No, I just, I got a bit sad because I was like, oh, I mean, first. Wait, like, what? What's the thanks for listening about? <laughs> why, did you, why did you say thanks for listening? My brain is just. Oh, me. really? That had nothing to do with the story. <laughs> nothing. 
Oh my god, delete me, delete me. Okay. You know what? Every so time sorry. we release an episode, my mum sends me all these messages with all the different words we say wrong and the like sayings that we get wrong, and she just laughs at it. This one, I think we're gonna we're gonna peak. struggle to get one sentence right. I think today. Oh no. Anyway, what I was saying is I felt very sad. I felt very emotional. I've had an emotional week because I'm going to miss all the things. And I was leaving the pool and I was thinking, this might be the last time I swim at a uh, cough sub pool. I was going to say Gosford. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I grew up. <laughs> you know, I called a Gosford the oh, other day. I was like, oh, Gosford. oh you swim at Gosford? <laughs> like, where the heck oh. is that? It's like, oh, um, just, yeah, cough's pool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm feeling <laughs> all the things this week are like mm-hmm. the last, the last of mm. everything. It makes me feel really sad. Yeah. Um, someone said to me down at the jetty the other morning, he was like, gosh, there's so many last. It's like the John Farnham tour. <laughs> every time I'm like, all right, guys, last Monday morning yeah. swim. All right, last Tuesday morning swim. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just annoying all my friends and oh. just active community because Every time they're like, oh, is this the last one? I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's the last 6.52 on a Tuesday morning that we will be in this location. <laughs> it feels like there's been so many lasts. Every day you put something up, I'm like, oh, no, the last, yeah, the last version of everything. And I think it's good to appreciate each of those ones, but it does really drag out the sadness, I reckon. <laughs> like, it's, been, it's a long goodbye. It, my heart feels sad. And excited. So anyway, lots of emotions. Like in this moment right now, I'm feeling excited. But if you rewind to an hour and a half ago or whenever it was as I was leaving the pool, I literally had like my head down and I was like walking slowly and I was like, oh, here I go. Like, bye. (laughs) Like, Does anyone notice that this is happening? Is anyone going to wave me out? (laughs) Anyway, so tell me, what have you been up to? Oh, my goodness. Give me some highlights. There's a very oh. exciting new activity that you've started. Oh, and I you're would right. like to hear about it. That is new. Um, basically, all I've been doing is counting down the sleeps, waiting for you to arrive, twiddling my thumbs until you get here, just doing nothing else <laughs> but looking at the clock. <laughs> <laughs> the usual, right? Yeah, that's I it. mean, that's what you do anyway. Yeah. Right? Well, in between your visits, I'm like, oh, okay, only three yeah. months to go. <laughs> 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 but now I'm not going to have to count because you're not going to leave my side ever again. <laughs> All right. What I have been doing is I have done a couple of swims, which I thought you would be proud of. I've joined Emily's group. I don't know if it's her group. I don't know if she owns it, but she swims mm-hmm. with a bunch of the Balmoral Tri Club members. And I joined them for a swim at Balmoral because, well, not because, but I put up a story a few weeks ago saying I left my goggles in the car and then I left my towel in the car. It was this whole ordeal. Mm. And she messaged me saying, why don't you join us next week? And I thought, yeah, maybe I will. And I did. And it was so good. And I have found this love for ocean swimming that I didn't know I had. I mean, I always have liked the ocean. Yeah. Are you serious? You know what? Yesterday when I was swimming, I honestly, this isn't the episode we talk about it, but in a future episode, we talk about the flow state. I reckon I was in it yesterday. I was like, I could swim all day long. Like you got to drag me out of here. I could just, I was floating and I was like, wow, I'm really like gliding through. Like it was great. So yeah, it's my new, th- my new thing. So, yeah, that's all I could say wow. about that. Gosh, so, <laughs> wow, mm-hmm. that there might be a swimming podcast on the horizon. Yeah, it might actually be. I'm kind of on board with it now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm shocked. I, I wasn't oh. expecting you to drop this. Yeah, Ooh, this is I need good to, news. Um, Forget the move to yeah, Sydney. I, this is the updates we've been waiting yeah, for. This is, 
big. That was not what I was expecting. I oh no. Because before we started, you said, "Have you got any sea lice tips?" And then mm. that started us talking about something completely different for like an hour before this podcast started. Anyway, so yeah, firstly, no sea lice tips. Okay. I'm just itchy all the time mm. or stinging. Yeah. Um, but secondly, wow, can't wait for the swim podcast. Yeah, um, let I'm us ready. know, team, if anyone would actually interested because. I reckon we could do a little swimming series. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been brainstorming this without you. Okay. Sorry, Soph. I didn't That's know if right. you were keen. But I think a little swimming series could be on the agenda. All right. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a meeting about it in person shortly. Um, but apart from that, I've been just running, you know. I do that as well a little bit here and there. Um, had a bit of an adventurous run with... Susie, Craig, and friend of the show, Nick, official friend of the show. Check out his Instagram <laughs> to find out what we're talking about. Um, but we also had a few leeches, as you experienced recently, oh. but yours was on a whole nother level, so can't mm. even compare. But basically a lot of rock hopping, scrambling through the bush around here, and it was a really cool adventure, quite, like, scary in moments, but good good challenge and good just to be in nature. Um, and then I did a run at Centennial on the weekend with Monique, which was really nice, and just been doing lots of little runs, a few runs of work. Um, and then some sessions at the track in Chatswood, some interval sessions. Um, so yeah, just lots of bits and pieces. Got the sun run this week and weekend. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, so I don't know, actually, I need to talk to you about my strategy for this sun run because mm. I don't really want to race for 10K. Like I just can't be bothered to be honest. And I kind of just want to be there for the vibes. Um, mm. But I keep saying I want to run fast. So I'm like, shall I just try and run fast? But I feel unprepared. But then don't you always feel unprepared? So I'm a bit unsure. Any thoughts? Well, I, uh, it's really hard. I'm still due for an injury update from you. Mm, I've been following along. Mm. Uh, I guess you wonder. (laughs) I didn't reply to those messages. I've been following along. Every day I send Um, you an audio and I'm like, I wonder if she's actually getting these. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I am here for the audio. I'm like every morning waiting for my update. Oh, good. And if it's not 10 minutes long, I get a bit sad. Okay. Um, So. Look, I think slow is best, as slow as possible, while still enjoying yourself. I know that's not the answer you wanted, but I'm looking at you. <laughs> I felt that in my soul. Wow. Yeah. You really spoke to me there. Um, that was very serious. Yeah. Look, it the was- injury update is it's the still what I was talking about. So basically for the listeners, uh, my tib post mm-hmm. is a little bit irritated, maybe a little bit tendinopathy-ish. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. Like right now, don't feel it. So, you know, what's the issue? Mm-mm. Anyway, no, we can talk about this issues. Off, off camera. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have um, a chat. We'll have a serious yeah. chat. Yeah. 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 Well, that's okay. the agenda for the meeting. Um, <clears throat> so tell us what you've been up to. I feel like you've just been sitting around doing nothing. Oh, my <laughs> life has been, I feel like if people watch my Instagram or my Strava, they would probably think like I literally just do nothing but run mm-hmm. and swim and go to the gym and go to the pool and do all those things. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's true. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's actually not true. I have – I feel like I've been quite busy doing life admin. Um, mm. But, no, I have still been working not much, just a few hours each day because I'm still working at the gym. But, anyway, basically I've had a lot of time off this month. I have stopped my job – Working as a physio, I pretty much wrapped that all up at the end of last year. And so just been doing little bits and pieces of work this year in the two gyms that I work at. And then just like preparing for my move, which, I mean, you'd think it'd be very simple, like just pack things and move. But it's just Mm. been a lot more than that. Obviously, like looking for someone to live, looking for someone to take my room in coughs and then kind of like 
scrambling that all together and then deciding to move into my friend's place so that I can basically not be paying double rent for a couple of weeks, which amazing, very grateful for my friend Toast to help me out with that. Absolutely incredible. Very Does she listen to, to these, by the way? She does. She oh, is good. Shout out to Toast. So, shout out to Toast. Um, anyway, I so yeah, all of that. And then, of course, I decided to use my time to do my freediving course, which was amazing. And then did some camping trips and just like a little bit of adventuring up north because I'm going to be moving south. I figured it'd be good to really take advantage of seeing as much north as I can. So I didn't get too far. I only sort of got to the sunny coast, but Oh, so beautiful. Basically, so basically my last two weeks, I've spent a lot of time sleeping in a tent. I've been camping in the beautiful hinterland of the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast, and then spending some time, spent sort of half a week actually in the sunny coast and did my freediving course, which is incredible because I learned all about holding my breath and looking within, which is just, I mean, so many things. And we're going to talk about that in a later episode, so I won't yeah, get into that now. Um, and yeah, I just really have been I mean, living the dream, Tr- like truly, Aww. um, very like, I mean, it has been mixed. I was saying to Soph last week, I was actually feeling really overwhelmed mm. and I know this is not a podcast about mental health, but I had like two days where I just felt like I had so much going on. I had so many missed calls, so many messages, so many emails, so much just admin and like stuff that I needed to do and I felt like I couldn't keep on top of it and I guess probably because I'm like trying to squeeze in all this stuff into like two days so I can then mm-hmm. go away so yeah and then so I can move and, and all that stuff so I brought it on myself but I remember just sitting at my computer and just being so anxious and being like oh my gosh I just need to like do all these like random bits and pieces and pack and blah 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 and then get my camping stuff and I was just feeling really overwhelmed and so mm-hmm. Anyway, there's been those moments, but then outside of that, I've also been just like, wow, I'm so grateful for my health. I'm so grateful for running, swimming. Like I met some really cool people when I went up north. I trained at an altitude gym, air locker, if you guys have done that before. So I met some cool people at the gym. I went and did a run at this place called the Running Room or the Running Company, sorry. Um, so it's like a group run from the shop. That was really fun. I met um, this girl called Bronte, who is an optometrist. And then we went for a run together the next day. I swam with the Malulabar swimmers and so I'm there. And then what else did I do? Just like all these fun things, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, you can check out my Strava if you want to see what I actually did running wise, because, oh my goodness, some really cool spots. And most recently I was attacked by leeches and currently (laughs) am dealing with the aftermath of having, I haven't counted, but I'm going to say at least 30 bites currently that have all become quite itchy, including mm. in my belly button, on my neck, oh. around my waist. That's and then to much. top it off, yesterday I got stung by all this sea lice. Oh. And I also got stung on the lip by a jellyfish. <laughs> oh, what do you mean up to? <laughs> that wasn't a separate day. It was just being one arm to the other. So I'm feeling currently sweaty itchy you know a bit bothered I mean I've been in the same clothes for the last two weeks I was just saying yeah. to Sophie I haven't changed the outfits for two weeks it's active wear or like my baggy shorts and like this little crop top thing and you know just living the vibes yeah so that is my life it's a bit chaotic it's a bit scary it is I think chaotic is the word that is it's a lot of things <laughs> it's all a bit yeah. messy chaotic it's all going on but you'll be settled 
very soon. Mm-hmm. Won't you? All right. Enough about me. That's yeah. boring. Enough about you. That's exciting. But, oh, no, you're yeah. exciting. You're, you're the one moving. I'm just staying the same. <laughs> anyway, we are so excited. Time for the endurance physio, Mike James, all the way from South Wales, not New South Wales, but South Wales. He is the endurance physio. So we talked about, well, to be honest, we had big plans about talking about all the myths and misconceptions <clears throat> and mistakes that runners make about strength training um, for their endurance endeavors. But we got a little bit distracted by some really interesting, deeper, probably more meaningful topics around psychology, around why certain people get involved in these crazy endurance events and why some people don't. And um, yeah, we had some really interesting chats prior to our actual questions. So I really enjoyed, I guess, getting both perspectives of not only the psychology part, but then also talking about some more um, focusing around injuries and strength as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that really just sort of sums it all up. It was it was so incredible. We we loved chatting to Mike. I think we both got heaps out of it. And as you said, so if it wasn't we didn't talk as much detail on the injuries as we anticipated, but so much about the observations that he has had working with um, athletes. And I think there'll be a lot that you guys will will hear and probably some good points to reflect on your own potential relationship with exercise, endurance. Something that Mike said as well as we were talking about, oh, this was really cool. He was talking about when there's like these endurance endeavors and people are like, oh, like I couldn't run for how many hours. And it's like, well, I don't know exactly what Mike said, but I mean, the, the point that he sort of makes is that like, well, yeah, it's so much your head. Like if, if you're saying, well, I, I couldn't do that for so long, well, you've just decided like you probably could, mm. but you can't because you've said you can't and mm. you've decided that it's too boring. Like I couldn't run around track for 24 hours. Well, because it's too boring. It's like, well, okay, well, if that's how you feel, then yeah, you, you can't. But mm. if, if you want to and you decide that you can and you're willing to to sit there for or run or whatever, um, you can. So it was just really cool. There was lots of little pearls of wisdom in the episode. Mm. So, um, oh, yeah, we loved it. And Mike's got just a huge wealth of experience. Uh, he's worked... Um, for 17 years in the Royal Air Force as a physical trainer and exercise rehab instructor. Um, and then obviously at the moment, he's a physiotherapist working with all endurance athletes. So you can follow him at the underscore endurance underscore physio on Instagram. He posts some really good, interesting content and he often does events and workshops and things like that online as well. So you can access those through his Instagram. He also was really, really kind. We've never actually had this happen before where we ran out of time and we had some listener questions that we didn't quite get around to asking. And so we wrapped up the podcast. We had to go. He had to go. And then we received an email from him a few hours later saying that he had answered those listener questions off his own back in his own time, just out of the good of his heart and spent, yeah, another 15 minutes or so answering these extra questions that we had sent through for, so, from some listeners. So that just goes to show how much he cares and that he is willing to share everything he, that he's learnt for our benefit and your benefit. So, um, yeah, we can't thank him enough and we're so excited to speak to him again. Mm. Yeah, enjoy, guys. We are so excited to hear your feedback. Let us know what you think. Follow us on Instagram at Strongest Stride. Um, leave us a review on Apple, subscribe, follow, all those good things. And by the time you are listening to this, Lydia will be officially a Sydney resident and I'm so excited. She's so excited. I don't think her audio is working at the moment, but I can see the excitement. Has she got any words for us or are we wrapping it up? 
she has got no words. She is, I can, I can try and work it out from, <laughs> maybe give me some hand signals. Anyway, basically her, oh yeah, thumbs up, big thumbs up from Lydia. Enjoy the episode. She's saying, woohoo. She's saying, <laughs> we love it. Oh, she's back. We're back. We're back. Yeah. Wrap it up. I'm so excited. Double thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Oh, thanks. Gosh. Bye. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Stronger Stride podcast today. We are lucky enough to have Mike James, the endurance physio, joining us all the way from South Wales. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Good evening to you guys. Yeah. Good morning to everyone in the UK for listening. so funny because you're in South Wales and we're in New South Wales, so we just copied, <laughs> copied where you're from. <laughs> yeah, That's, it always does. My kids are 10 and 7. Geography is a big thing. They, oh, they yes. had a, a globe for Christmas and they're looking at all these places and they were like, oh, there's a New South Wales. <laughs> like, well, why do you think it's New South Wales? <laughs> I, I don't, we don't know. And we went through the whole history of Australia uh, and everything else. And um, and then the penny finally dropped and it was like, we're in South Wales, aren't we? I went, oh, <laughs> we're in old South Wales. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's so cute. So, yeah, it is, it is quite a cool one. Is, yeah. But it's funny, here, here in South Wales, there is genuinely a pull. Every time someone sees something new South Wales, there's always a pull to to, to the, yeah. the sort of attachment and, yeah. and recognition of, of the link. Nice. Yeah. Have you ever been over here? No, no. It's oh. one of the bucket list ones. Mm. Um, got close a couple of times, a couple of New Zealand trips and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, one of the plans always, so if I'm doing big teaching trips these days, um, I try to do them that we can link like a family holiday in with them. Mm-hmm. So um, there's one coming up on one of the states next year with about five or six dates. And uh, Oz is the other one I'd love to put together. Oh. Yeah, get a few get a few teaching dates out there over a couple of weeks. Sling the family on a plane, mm. oh get them out, but spend definitely. much longer there on holidays than teaching. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, oh, of definitely. course, as you should. Yeah, yeah, but definitely another one. And the kids that they're like ten and seven now, so they're an age where it, they'll enjoy it. Mm, when they were sure. small, it was a bit awkward. Yeah, <laughs> them around the place. Yeah, and plenty plenty of places for you to run around here as well. Yeah, we yeah, could take exactly. you for a yeah, few. Yeah. Give you a tour. Yeah. 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 But also, you know, the really funny thing with social media, with podcasting, is the rehab and the running world's become really small. Mm. There's so many people you know relatively well right now that you go, well, I'd love to have a trip down south because there's actually half a dozen people I'd really like mm. to meet in real life because I feel yeah. like I know I'm quite well online. Yeah. It's so um, true. Yeah. yeah. I, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like whenever I'm going anywhere now, I'm like, oh, I'll just link up with, and you just go on social media and you find all the people and it, it yeah, it totally changes things. It's, yeah. it's bizarre, yeah. but it's also so exciting because it, it definitely, um, yeah, there's a big travel incentive now for just like running holidays and running trips and things like yeah. that. So it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the, it. one of the craziest things these days, and, and I, it, it is, it probably happens nine times out of 10, I can do it these days. But I'll get this random message because I do online consultations. Sometimes people come to me from from all over. But a lot of the time, they'll just be, they'll send me a a question about an injury and I'll chat to them and I'll ask them where they are and they're based wherever in the world. Mm. And I'll go, oh, I actually know someone relatively close to you. (laughs) And I can literally give them a link to book in with someone who was just around the corner from them that they've only found because someone 10,000 miles away is, I told them about good. it, wow. and um, and even even this week, funny enough, um, someone, what were they, Brisbane? I think it was. 
Oh, I, you know, I'd love yeah. to see someone with, with a bit of experience similar to yours. But and I'm like, well, where are you? Because oh, I know someone in Brisbane. Mm, yeah. Literally sent them a link to that to this guy's website. Um, dropped him a message. You know, Nick, I've got someone in Brisbane. I've just sent them. He said, "Oh, brilliant! Cheers, Mike." He's like, you put the you come offline and you just go, "That's bizarre." That's yeah. bizarre yeah. that you can just suddenly I'm sitting here in Little South Wales, just <laughs> minding my own business, and I've just hooked someone up in in the other side of the world. But yeah. um, but it happens more often than than is this. If I don't know someone now, there's generally someone I know who might know someone mm. that that can US particularly. There's a couple of friends I got in the US, and I if I need someone over there, one of those two normally knows someone within. Mm. You know, mm. I'll say, obviously in the UK, if I say within 100 miles, most people go, "That's mental." Do you know how far that is? <laughs> oh, but for runners, 100 miles. Yeah, that's yeah. far. It's a day trip. US, yeah. Canada, all places that I like people mm. are like well, 100 miles, no, no, no big deal. And that's fine. <laughs> but, um, but but you can you can find people. And I love that. It's great that the world's become mm. such a small place. Mm. I love it. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of issues with social media and the Internet and, and all those things. But I still am so grateful for what we have. The community. It's awesome. I love I love the running community. Yeah. I love the online space where people are sharing knowledge and advice. And I mean, I guess that's how we got in contact with you. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah. And, it's and awesome. Before you realize it, most people are thinking the same, doing the same. It's just mm. we live in different places. Mm. And once you realize the connection is, look, we're all doing the same stuff everywhere. Let's just share, collaborate, help each other. Mm. And, and you know, like you're saying about the problems of social media, most of it is just people with egos or lack of confidence or lack of whatever that they don't want to collaborate they feel threatened by others or whatever and when you realize the positives of it and put that stuff mm. to one side it's you know best invention mm. ever isn't it mm. oh, you made so that good. so succinct i really like, like that. i mean it's so true isn't it i mean gosh we're gonna just have we can have a podcast about this but i will get off this tangent in a minute but just the whole ego and insecurity thing i mean that's just it isn't it like you hit the nail on the head there. I feel, I mean, that's just everywhere in life though. So I guess social media is just the the platform, but you're right. There's so much good that comes out of it. So we just focus on that and let all the other people who are doing whatever they're doing, go do their thing somewhere else. And we can continue is, to collaborate. It is, it's, you know, yeah. And it's really funny because you, obviously the way you guys know what it's like, something, someone will just rise their head above the parapet and you'll be aware of someone and you sort of follow them for a little bit and see what they're doing. And it doesn't take long until that test of time shows that they're either a good guy or they're not a good guy and they Mm. disappear off. They burn really brightly for a while and then they sort of lose a little bit of sort of popularity or they stick around. Mm. And I know sometimes it's about how much commitment you've got to churning out content and, Mm. and doing other stuff. But it's when you see the simple things like someone's just liking and sharing other people's work, giving other people credit, which is in real life what you'd expect people to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Or you see these others, and I know it's happened to me loads of times. Someone's someone's tagged me in something and they've gone, look at this. And I've put a post out on one day and a day later, someone's mm-hmm. completely plagiarized my post into their own, you know, word for word. No, you know, tip of the hat to such and such for this great content, blah, blah, blah. It's just, yeah, you've you've just stolen it, basically. But they don't hang around. Those people don't mm. hang around long. So so you don't need to, you know, I just do my own thing. And, and those who stick around will stick around. And those who don't, won't. Maybe it's because I'm a bit older or whatever. But <laughs> I, I literally just, I'll treat social media how I would treat people in real life. And it's as simple as that. 
if I don't mm. like you, I'm not going to engage you in social media. If I like you, I'll engage with you lots. I'll be as polite to you and recognize your work and your content as I would if you're walking down the street or living in the same place as me. And I don't know why people complicate it more than that. Mm. That's such a good way to approach it. I think there's a lot of fakeness and people just pretending to be someone they're not. But you're right, it does just come out eventually. So if you can just be true to yourself and be kind and share and I guess just acknowledge when you're you know, using someone else's information or, um, yeah, wanting to re- repurpose it for your own use, yeah. at least. And, and the bizarre and- things are the algorithms, if you dig into them all, they reward you for sharing other people's content. They, mm. they it, If you're trying to grow an audience on social media, and this is another even different podcast again, <laughs> but if that's something you're trying to do from a business or whatever point of view, then you're missing a trick sometimes by being quite closed-minded and small-minded because there's a lot of benefits to just doing the right thing anyway. Mm. Mm, so it's true. So refreshing. That's awesome. That's so great. Um, I guess I better start chatting a little bit more about what you actually do, yeah. Mike, because yeah. you have got some impressive qualifications. You're a physiotherapist, a strength conditioning coach. Uh, you just have a degree in sports rehab and sports science, and you help athletes perform better in the endurance space, which I mean, what a title, like you do so much. And so if now I followed you on Instagram for a while and you post some very interesting content, some very um, practical content and just thought-provoking content as well. So do you want to give us a little bit of an overview of your background, who you are, what you do, um, who you currently work with and how you got into that? Yeah, absolutely. Most of that stuff just comes down to the simple fact I'm old. The longer, the longer, no the longer, the longer you're around, the more stuff you get to tick off and say you've done. But um, yeah, my background's uh, traditional in a lot of ways and, and non-traditional others. So um, uh, back in the 90s, as a 20-year-old, I was sport mad. My original dream had to be a, a soccer player. Um, came relatively close, but didn't quite make it. But Pretty quickly after the dream died, I realized that the thing that gave me success on the football field was my fitness. I was I was a runner as a teenager, and I loved long bike rides. And although I continued playing football for a while, my, my own sporting interest diverted much more into running, cycling, swimming, even, even back then in the 90s. Um, and then at, at that point, obviously, you need to start thinking about getting a job. And I just wanted to be in fitness and sport in, in whatever capacity I could. And um, despite not being from a military family, I joined the Royal Air Force at 20 and stayed there for 17 years where um, I was a physical training instructor. So I got to either do exercise all day or shout at people to do exercise all day. <laughs> um, and I loved it. Best thing of being in the military was that they're brilliant at trying to help you develop as an individual. They support you and, and, and your desires. And, and not everybody in the military has those desires. So if you do, then you can really tap into a lot of help and potential. And as a result, what they did was they funded me through a, a sports rehab degree, a sports science degree. Um, I transitioned into rehab from physical training while I was in. And they also allowed me to do as much sport and competition as I wanted to. Part of that couple of years that I was in was um, I I got into the Great Britain age group triathlon team. They let me train full time for two years as an athlete um, and effectively just do whatever it was I wanted to. 
But um, I'd never joined up planning that it was going to be a lifelong uh, career for me. It was until I've had enough or kids come along or whatever, and, and then I'll get out. So mid-30s, I left, went back to uni, did a physio master's, did my, uh, alongside that, strength conditioning master's. And ever since then, I've been working as a physio, doing a lot of teaching, mentoring, coaching in, in the physio world. Um, I lecture in university now. But then as an athlete, I've continued to to do lots of sort of what a lot of people say as, as the crazy type of stuff. I've always been someone who likes the things that most people say, that's just stupid. Why are you doing that? So <laughs> so everything from multiple Ironmans, double Ironmans, ultramarathons, long bike rides, cross-continental bike rides, that type of thing. And that's in the last 10 years then evolved into coaching and uh, supporting athletes in their own endeavors as well as my own. And now then, and then out of that grew the, the company, the business, the endurance physio. And um, I have, I am really blessed right now that I have a really eclectic week, although, it, although it's comprising coaching, treating, educating, that's pretty much, and, and then sort of running the business. Those three facets vary. Different weeks will have different components um, I still sometimes get to uh, spend a couple of weeks away with elite pro triathlon clubs or squads on their training camps. Um, I still work with a couple of really high level sort of internationals. But the bulk of my patient load or my coaching load these days are novice recreational athletes who I try effectively to put the principles and approaches that I've seen with elite athletes into the everyday athlete. And and that's pretty much where we're at, life-wise, career-wise. Mm, that's that's fantastic. I mean, what what a fascinating, interesting job. And it sounds like you've been fortunate, or I guess quite intentional with where you've ended up to be doing something that you enjoy and obviously a combination of your own interests and then getting to um mentor people people in the, in their own endeavors. Is there anything in particular about the endurance and sort of ultra-endurance space that really grabs you because uh, obviously the world of sort of sport physio and coaching is huge. So there's lo- there's lots of different areas, but is there something in specific or something specific about the endurance sort of space that really grabs you? Yeah, I think if I'm completely honest, I probably fell into it just by luck and circumstance. Mm. Certainly in the rehab space, it was very much a, uh, or you do all these crazy things. I've got this guy who does those crazy things. Perhaps you can help them a little bit. Um, but then obviously my pull and my passion. I, I'm very I'm someone who completely gets and is comfortable with my shortcomings and my strengths. So mm-hmm. I am Mr. All or None. If I'm not interested in something, I'm not doing it. So I always needed my business to be the thing that I was passionate about more than just a job because I, I just mm. wouldn't engage or commit to it. So um, so I, I forced myself into that space as well. What I've always really enjoyed about it is, and it sounds silly as therapists saying this, work with the physical capacity of people. It's the psychology of endurance sport that's mm. the thing I, I'm fascinated by and love. It's the it's the, you know, I say to most people that uh, to take the Olympians out the way and the world elite sort of guys, for most of us out there, I genuinely think that it's 80% psychological, 20% physiological. Mm-hmm. Most of us can achieve the goals we want to 
with the right physical preparation. And most of us are capable of that physical preparation. What a lot of people struggle to do is have the mental strength and the, the psychological capacity to commit to those programs, to commit to those events. The ultra running world, which has got nuts in the last few years, number of people. I remember chatting to someone. Um, this would have been probably five years ago, six years ago. I was doing um, a hundred mile ultra. But the bizarre thing with this 100 mile ultra was that it was a 101 mile laps of this oh, route. Wow. And I was just telling someone was asking about it, a friend, a sort of social gathering. And, he, and I remember him saying to him, Oh, I could never do that. That's so boring. Mm. And, and, that's, and my answer to him, which might have sounded flippant, was, Well, that's why you're not doing it. Because mm-hmm. physically you could do it, physically yeah. you could prepare for that. We're not asking you to run a, a four minute mile. We're not asking you to run a two-hour marathon. We're saying, mm. can you just keep walking and jogging for 24 hours, basically? And of course, you could condition yourself to do that. What you can't do and why you won't do it is because you lack the mental capacity to engage in that type of event. Because uh, I was seeing that particular event as, oh, brilliant. Some of these 100 milers I've done, I'm on my own for hours, don't see mm. a soul. Now I've got my support crew. Every 10 minutes, I'm going to go past them. Anything I need, mm. I can grab. I don't need to carry all my kit. I was seeing the practicalities of, of that. Of course, there's bits in that race, which is like, oh, my God, how dull is this? But, um, <laughs> but I, I've bits. always been fascinated by the psychology of it all. Mm. Do you think that mental capacity that, that that individual didn't have that you had, is that something that people can train? Like if he suddenly woke up and said, actually, no, I do want to do it. Do you think it's something that's just within us or is it something that you can kind of train or work on your habits or are there strategies to get someone to, to get to that point? Yeah, absolutely. The brain's the, the best muscle and best organ we've got. Um, mm. does, does someone in the same way, physiologically, some people have a capacity that some others can't get to, you know, I've, I've worked with some athletes in the past. They've got lungs like a horse. I'm, I, you know, I am no matter how committed I am to my training, how good my training is, I am never getting to the level of competition these guys or girls are getting to. So potentially, perhaps psychologically, some people have, have a threshold and they mm. can't go really above it and others can. Um, but it's absolutely trainable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and most of it, you know, do you need a, a psychologist helping you? Probably not. Sometimes mm. someone is just experienced in, in suffering because that's the key thing with it. It's, it's with a lot of it. It's just dealing with suffering mm. and, mm. and and strategies. Now, I spent a couple of years doing a lot of open water swimming um, with the big one, obviously, over here being the English Channel. Did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Done wow. a relay and a solo for that one. Well but done. Um, but that's that's one of those where, you know, the physical thing of, of swimming, something like that is, is far easier than a lot of people think. Physically, when you know you just need to get the volume in. Nobody's really swimming that hard when they're swimming there. Um, the physical thing is dealing with the cold and acclimatizing yourself to, to the temperature of the water. But even that is mainly psychological. Can mm. you, at the early portions of the year, crack the ice on the lake and get in for five minutes? Because that's going to pay dividends months down the line. Mm. And most people will go, bugger that, I ain't doing that. Mm. or can you get to the pool at whatever time of day or night because you need to do the big set when the pool's quiet most people could physically do the set but they won't get to the pool Mm. you know when we move on to talking about the strength stuff half of that is psychological barriers that most people put in their way Mm. 
either through misconceptions or through a, a lack of commitment to it. So I, mm. I just think the whole thing with the, you know, most, and even when people come in into clinic uh, with physical problems, you can often unpick a, a psychological cause of it, whether it's too much commitment, not enough commitment or, mm. or something like that, you know, insecurity is massive in the endurance world or oh, mm. such and such is doing this I better do that mm. maybe not I wouldn't I wouldn't if I was you not yet but um, but they do so so I, I that's always been my pull it's always been the thing that um, you know if I'm racing and obviously we we do get a mix of the weathers here I've always done better in the worst conditions not, not because I probably perform any better, but I have an ability to decline less perhaps than others. Mm. I remember doing a, an early season triathlon probably 15 years ago against many of the competitors who I competed against in the summer. And I was okay against them in the summer, but this particular race, it was snowing and all sorts during this race. And some of them just wilted and withered away. And I could see in their eyes that they were just falling apart. This isn't fun. This is cold. This is horrible. I've still got 20 miles left, whatever. And I'm just going, cool. I'm watching you all dropping off here now. I'll just, just you know, I, yes, I'm declining too, but I know this is temporary. It's going to go away. And I think a lot of that is is perhaps inherent, but a large portion of my attitude to that is from my military days where everything was about attrition, trying to develop that mental capacity, trying to test people's sort of resilience, to mm. tough conditions, tough environments, you know, making the most of stuff. Mm. Um, I, I did a couple of tours in Afghanistan, which which was nowhere near what was going on at the front line. Obviously, I was I was rehabbing people, but again, you see in that sort of zone, it's the way people deal with it is is the success to their their time out there rather than having a having other things that happen to them go right or wrong. It, it's all about, well, you know, what what are the some of the positives we can suck out of this and just enjoy it? Mm. And people deal with it different ways, but um, but that's always been the thing that's fascinated me people in, in any capacity in, in running an, an endurance world is, is where do people sit on that spectrum? Because physically we can get you to where we need to relatively easy, easier than probably most people think. But um, or a lot of people are at their physical capacity and the only way to break them through it is to develop the mental side. Mm. You know, we have to push you through to be able to deal with things differently um, because that's probably what's going to separate you to be a different athlete to the athlete you are right now. Mm. Well, I mean, there's just so much in there that we can unpack. I think mindset is obviously a huge theme and it's, something that Soph and I have come across with a lot of our guests talking about, you know, the mental component of training. There's, there's always more to it than um, just the physiology. And I guess like, you know, my physio brain, like I am only a year out after graduating. And so I love the research I love the textbooks and I, I love the sort of black and white stuff, but I guess the more I've learned, the more I've realized it's so not black and white. And there's so much that goes on between our ears that, affects our ability to apply all the things that we are physically training um and then obviously as you said there's i mean there's just there's everything else to gain as well with our head so um oh it's it's so interesting um a question that i do have which i think sort of comes up a little bit 
um, with, I think, typically the, that sort of endurance type A athlete, which maybe is potentially a little bit ego-driven um, and, and just around sort of trying to separate the difference between pushing through and, and gritting it out, uh, being an ego-driven type thing compared to actually that's part of the training process. Because I think, you know, we see a lot of overtraining injuries in the endurance space and a lot of people doing too much too soon, um, thinking that they can keep up. And, you know, you made an example there about, should I do this? No, you're probably not ready for that. And there's obviously for a lot of these people and these athletes, there's this desire to like push really hard. And there's definitely something that feels so good. I know myself about when you're doing something hard and you you accept the suffering and you just keep pushing and then you finish it and you accomplish it. And you're like, yeah, I did that. Um, but how do we know when we're just pushing for the sake of pushing and just gritting it out just for the sake of it, just to be like, yeah, I did this really gritty, tough thing compared to actually productive training that's smart and efficient yeah, I, I just the whole thing for me is is the so what? What are they what are they doing it for? Mm. So I you know the the there's a time to push hard and there's a time to rest easy and, and a lot of it is is I think when I when I have a patient in, I probably spend I'm fortunate working in, in private healthcare that I spend about 90 minutes with most people who come to see me. I've got the luxury of that time. Um but I spend at least an hour just chatting before I even start doing anything else. And most of that is me trying to understand where they're at, where they're trying to get to, where they've come from. And um, and often it reveals itself in that capacity. You, you These these type A's, you smell them a mile off. They haven't even walked in your room and you sort of go, oh, okay, I know what's coming in here from <laughs> maybe the messages they're sending you or their, their look when they walk in. So straight away, my, my sort of guards up as far as, okay, there's probably going to be something I need to to unpick here. A lot of it is, you know, timing. What? How do you get those answers out of them? Because because most of them want to open up and and tell you what's going on. But I'm often I often start doing the subjective bit by being objective. Talk me through your race plans. Talk me through your training schedule. Tell me about the last six weeks of your training. What are you training for? What are you doing? And when you sort of get these signs from these people of well, nothing really. I'm just smashing myself because I enjoy it. And oh, okay, there's something to pick apart on. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of it is, and and I guess it's it's good for us, bad for them. But some of them end up in clinic broken, and that's the reason they need to start listening. It's okay. The reason you've been pushing, 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 burning, burning, burning has led you to being here today. How, how about we try to reframe everything so that we don't get to that point? And the context that's really important with an A-type personality is to show there will be times we do let you off the leash. There's times we need you to untap all of that sort of um, psychology that you have and commitment you have, but it's about when we let you off the leash and when we put you back on because your ultimate goal is performance. And again, some of these I've, I've worked with plenty either through a, uh, they've come to me because they're not meeting their performance goals as a coach, or they've come to me with injuries as, as a therapist. And it's mainly because something's driving them that's not obvious. Weight loss, confidence issues. There's all of these things sometimes that are the real root cause of why they're doing something to themselves that you just think, oh, they're just type A's and they're smashing themselves. Mm. But actually there's there's much deeper stuff sometimes. Um, 
you know, that the, the number of people that I, and I don't know why it is, it, you get these trends, of course. I seem to have this innate ability in the last 18 months post-pandemic of finding recently divorced people who want to absolutely abuse their way into being a better athlete and being more confident mm. post-divorce. I don't know how they end up in, in my <laughs> clinic all the time. But Put a magnet do. out. Yeah, yeah, divorce magnets, Emma. But um, but <laughs> but there's so there's a there's a category of psychology coming in right now that I'm like okay, and and I don't obviously think it all the time, but if I start to see a certain age of athlete coming in, then my guard is a little bit and my attention's raised slightly, and oh, I wonder what's going on. And of course, we show an attention to what's going on in someone's life in all aspects anyway. But with those ones, I'm like, okay, if someone comes in, you know, tell me about work life. Oh, well, I'm recently divorced. Okay. Is that driving you in some ways athletically that was different to how we used to be? And is that the reason why we're suddenly picking up this? And you know, it's the obvious. Is your Achilles crying out to you right now? But actually, it's not really because of something physical, it's something psychological that's that's causing it. So um the, the the hardest part with the type A's is just making the connection for them to open up to you and let because the, the biggest problem with them is they don't want to listen to you. And um, I always remember, and again, I've got it wrong so many times. I had an athlete, so I, when, when I first, in my military days, I obviously traveled around the UK in different places a lot. So when I left there and we moved back to South Wales, before I set up the clinic and stuff, I took a job working for someone else. And um, one of the, it was, a, it was a traditional high street physio clinic, but we offered uh, standalone sports massage as well. And the physios used to give the sports massage out. So this guy had booked in for this massage slot. It was me that was, was uh, picked to give him it. And he comes in and, and he's just wants his calves worked on and I'm working on his calves and I'm chatting to him. And um, he's basically telling me he's training for a big ultra run. And uh, he's got he's had this sort of history of calf problems. No real rehab, all the traditional. I stop, it settles down, I start again and, and stuff. And I just slipped into physio mode. And just started going, you know, do you do any strength work? Let's assess your strength. Let's assess this. Let's chat about your training. And he, I could see this guy just didn't want me to do this stuff. But but being stubborn, I, I plowed through thinking I could win him over. And um, he left and was told by the, the practice manager shortly after this guy had been really pissed off by my approach. He wanted a massage and that was it. And you try and giving him stuff that he wasn't interested in. And um, there was a little note there that this guy was, it was something like 10 weeks out from this big race. Um, and he was coming in weekly for a soft tissue, but his soft tissue work. And it was an asterisk on the computer, not to be mucked in with Mike. Oh. And I was like, oh, that doesn't happen often, but it's happened. I've ruffled someone's feathers and okay, learn it, learn from it. Then about two, two three months later, so it would have been after the race, there's a physio assessment booked in and it's this guy. Oh. And he was booked in with me. So mm -hmm. I walked out to the to the front office, said to Brax, I think there's been a mistake. This guy's booked in with you, uh, booked in with me. And she went, no, no, he specifically asked to see you. And I'm like, oh, what's going to kick off here? Like, <laughs> He's coming for a fight. Got my goniometer uh, <laughs> ready to defend myself. <laughs> and and um, 
in he comes, he sits down, and I was the one at the time going, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And he mm. went, right, I just want to apologise. I was a little bit short with you before. Um, <laughs> I was really scared that I knew you were right what you were telling me, and I was scared that it was going to jeopardise my race. Mm. So I went blinkers on, la, 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 don't want to hear it, shut you down. But I've done my race. I struggled through my race. I'm ready to listen to what you've got to tell me. And we had mm. the best relationship ever, still keep in touch sort of at arm's length on, on social media. Um, because at that point, that A-type personality had kicked in and he just gone, no, you know, two fingers up, off you go, get out of my life, you're just interfering with me. But then I'd, I'd found a, a point to engage with me and I learned loads from that encounter just off of, okay, there's a time and a place to connect with these guys. There's a time and a place to just shut up and get on with it. And certainly with some of those guys, they might come to see me in clinic um, mid-training plan or pre-race with problems. And I know that it's just patch them up, get them to the start line, do the stuff that they might want rather than what I think they need because it buys me credit in the bank after the race to try and deal with the things they might need to deal with certainly strength conditioning being a classic one that um that will come on to so um so it is it is you know the human body's an amazing machine and i love working with them the only problem with the human body is it's got a human brain sticking in it <laughs> and, and and that's the difficult bit of working with them mm. you know if if there's all these online arguments about you know oh, bodies aren't machines it'd be bloody easy if they were Mm, and, you, yeah. and you just knew how to treat them like a machine but but you know it's it's this complex computer that um that has a soul and a heartbeat and a personality falling out of it which is what really makes it magical as well but um but it's it's and it's so hard sometimes when you so although i in a lot of my private education is based on working with runners and endurance athletes a lot of it is more general therapy principles and I'll, I, I sort of have this real sort of mission I'm on when I'm chatting to therapists about, I always say we really need to be world-class at the basics, not basic at the world-class. Mm. So the number of therapists who want to go on this advanced course for this, or this fancy technique for that. And I just go, master your subjective assessment. Learn about personalities. Learn about something else. I'm, I'm reading books in the last few years for work reasons, which I never thought I'd ever read. I would be all anatomy, anatomy, anatomy. Now I'm reading books. I read a book last year, which was by um, an FBI profiler about body language and how body language, how you sort of um, interpret lies and mistruths through body language. Now, I'm not claiming to walk around spotting serial killers, obviously. <laughs> Add that to your see, resume. <laughs> you know, yeah, but I, I certainly sit there going, you know, yeah, I can see the way someone walks and holds themselves in my clinic or on the gym floor that maybe I'm not getting the full story out of them right now about something or other. And, and perhaps I need to scratch that a little bit more. And mm. um, and I think definitely we need to understand people much more or beyond bodies, joints, muscles, tendons, ligaments. And when we work with runners, for example, we can be so tunnel vision to oh, your Achilles is sore, let's look at your Achilles, let's test your calf raise, let's make sure that your training plan's all good. Why is the training plan as it is? Not every, because I genuinely think 100% of endurance athletes 
nobody sets out to, you know, most of it's mistakes and, and sort of self-sabotaging themselves, but it's innocent mistakes made with best intentions or a lack of knowledge or understanding of something. No runner has ever gone and gone, I'm going to smash myself so hard I give my Achilles a, a raging tendinopathy. They just, they just, you know, either copy things that they think are right, or they do things that they they don't really, you know, they go all or none on stuff. So, um, so if we understand the the person, we can often fix most of the problems. Yeah, it's so important, and I'm so glad that you're working in a uni and you're lecturing this new physio course because I know, for me, walking out of uni first day of work, it's like. The patient walks in with X condition and you give them X exercises for this number of reps for this amount of time. And then they come back and then they're fixed. Never the case. Everyone's so individual and there's so many other factors in that. And you're right. That subjective part is so important. And having that amount of time to actually dive deeper and figure out what actually makes someone tick and why they're in this position or, you know, those repetitive or chronic injuries, why does it keep happening to them? Is there a pattern that you can figure out? I think all of that is so much more important than just the um, objective cookie cutter approach. So yeah, I wish we could come to your uni and learn, learn mm. from you even more. Um, we should get onto our misconceptions <laughs> about strength training. Shouldn't we? I think we'll have to get you back on again to keep talking about this. Um, but what we're here to talk about is common myths and misconceptions for strength training with endurance athletes um i think we need to do this as a rapid fire if that's all right so we'll hit you with a few and you give us your go-to response so first one i think that comes up quite a lot um and i think it's it's getting less and less but the uh, concern around getting too bulky or too muscly um obviously with endurance sports there's a bit of a power to weight ratio involved um there's often often people are told that being light is the best um what do you say to someone who's worried about getting bulky from strength training yeah, I do see this one dying off a little bit, thankfully. Um, I think the problem a lot with this one sometimes is tradition and history. That first generation of coaches and runners from the original running boom, that was when this was, you know, if you lift weights, you are going to get massive. Women shouldn't lift weights in general. They're going to get massive. And it is filtering out slowly. Um, you still see some coming in. And, um, you know, the, the long and short of it is that if you want to grow muscle bulk, there are far more things you need to do with your nutrition and your supplementation and everything else than just lift weights. Um, even if you were, you know, most runners don't need to lift weights that are anywhere near the volumes or capacities that you would grow muscle on. I think what I, you know, the evidence supports us really well that, um, We've got multiple, multiple years of research to show that you can get all the physiology benefits of lifting weight. You can um, increase muscle capacity and muscle size without getting bigger um, or heavier from it. I think sometimes what I still see people make the misconception of is that a lot of the time when runners start running more, or they think more about their nutrition or they add a bit of strength conditioning. We change our body composition. We lose a little bit of weight. We maybe put a little bit of more definition in the muscle. And suddenly someone will go, oh, you're looking really muscly. But it's not because they bulked up. It's not because they've put any weight on. It's just that they've changed the composition of the weight that they've got. So there's a, there's a visible thing that people see that isn't related or correlated to 
body composition. So, um, so the evidence says, no, you know, it's, it's not something most of us would need to worry about. You're not eating the, the things that you need to, or even uh, the things you shouldn't or not allowed to eat, but, uh, or take supplement wise, but, um, but, you know, I, I don't see it as a problem ever in clinic anytime. Um, I've worked with patients in the past who needed to put on a bit of muscle sometimes to be a bit better runner because of the, they were one end of the spectrum that we didn't want them to be at, but it's, it's definitely a myth and a misconception that um, if you're running regularly, doing a little bit of strength training and eating a normal, healthy, balanced diet, you will, will not be anywhere near the spectrum of, of putting on muscle size that's ever going to affect your running. Mm, and um, just further on that too, if there is a runner who um, maybe has some aesthetic hypertrophy-based goals as well, do you think that that's something that you devise against if they're also wanting to seek endurance um, goals or uh, like, do you think, do you think you can have a bit of both? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, you know, if, if you, a lot of the time, you definitely can have both and they can coexist at the same time. What you have to have in there is an understanding that one's never going to be as good as you want it to be whilst you have shared goals for things. So, you know, if you want to go and either get, really big or put a weight or just be super strong, then you can't expect to be bringing down your PB times on, on everything at the same time, because it's very difficult to, for them to coexist in a, in a ultimate performance capacity. Mm. Yeah. But um, you know, there's, there's what is always nice with um, the, the, the nice thing with a lot of strength evidence these days is some really simple, big, bang for your buck sort of statements and and the one that we always see around strength training which I don't think we push enough to runners is if you take any of the literature which shows what happens if someone just runs compared to someone who just runs and does a bit of strength the concurrent training of strength and running will always make you an even better runner so runners run more will get become better runners, but runners who run more and do a little bit of strength work will be even better progression from the ones who just run. So, um, so I just generally think it's it's that simple. And then it comes down to a: Do you want to do strength training? Is it something you can be bothered to do? Is it something you have confidence or experience in doing and a, a facility to do it? If, if you don't or you don't want to, then fine. But but um, but none of those who do the concurrent training suddenly turn into gym bunnies and, and are walking around with muscles bulging out of them everywhere or ever have a, well, I started strength training. It's made me a worse runner. Mm. So um, you might have that little transient period at the start when there's the whole neuromuscular transition and everything else going on where, okay, yeah, there's a time and a place to integrate this initially because we may end up having a small short-term deficit in our running because we're stiff so tired so on so on but um but no that's that's that they can coexist very very nicely mm. yeah that's awesome I guess that probably brings us into the next thing um or the next sort of myth that people will bring up all the time is that they don't have time to strength train and obviously you know you we can't be across everyone's schedules and I can only speak for my own schedule um but what what are your thoughts on that? Um, can we yeah. always make time for strength training? What do you think? We should be able to if we frame strength training correctly. Mm -hmm. So 
I think this myth is perpetuated as much on our side of the fence as it is mm. with the runners. Um, often we're looking for the perfect strength plan. Often mm. we're looking at giving someone what would be optimal instead of just progressive. So I have plenty of my runners who just start with bodyweight exercises once a week at home and we build it up. It depends obviously where in their running plan and their running season they are as well. But I, I'll give a really good sort of snapshot of this. I had a, a, a lady that I coached online last year for an online strength training plan. She um, lived about an hour or two from me in quite a rural area and wanted to get into strength training. And she went to see this, this guy who was about a 30-minute round trip um, in a state-of-the-art, one of these fancy all-singing, all-dancing strength conditioning facilities. The program that he had written was gold. It was gold standard. It was world-class programming. But it meant that she had to do a 30-minute round trip three times a week as a busy working mum to go to this facility to be in a... Um, in a facility and an environment that she didn't feel comfortable or confident in, or probably didn't need as well at that stage of her, her care. So she was probably someone who was going to go away and go in, I've got the time to do that strength training. I tried that strength training, didn't work for me. It's too much hassle. So we ended up giving a body weight resistance band, light kettlebell stuff at home, and she got lots of benefit from it. Was it? perfect strength training plan no but it didn't need to be so i think if we always keep the framework of for runners need to run and we're trying to complement their running we're not trying to make them into strength athletes i'm trying to make you a stronger runner not a strength athlete who runs so therefore what my aim purely is is progress not perfection so mm. i don't give the same strength plan to any two athletes it's tell me what equipment you've got, what time you've got, what space you've got, what time of day you're likely to do it. And we'll find something that's progressive and gets you stronger, even if it's not perfect. And, and some people do come to me and go, oh, I've got gym membership. I'm happy to go to the gym three nights a week. I'm happy to give you three hours of my week. Fine, cool. Let's go full on for you. But if someone else says, I don't really get this, Mike, I'm not really bothered. I'd rather just watch telly in the evenings and, and do some stuff on the floor. Cool. Let's let's make that work for you. And if it evolves into more fine, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But um, but and I think the biggest misconception about the time is our mistake of making them think they need more time, more space, more equipment than they probably really do. Mm, I think that progress, not perfection, is so important because so often people, um, yeah, they might not have time to get to the gym or they might not think they have the best equipment, so they just won't do anything at all. But as you said, 10 minutes on the floor with body weight is going to be way better than doing nothing. So I think that's a really good reminder for people. Um, what about people who still aren't keen on strength training and they're convinced that running uphill is going to be enough um, to elicit the similar sort of response? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good old fashioned one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> running uphill is hard. Will it make you a, and again, inverted commas, stronger runner? It'll make you stronger at running uphill. But the physiology of running uphill is completely different to the physiology of moving muscle and, and working in a strength environment. So, um, so again, there's times, there's nuance and there's context to it that if I've got a runner who's training for a hilly race, maybe for a period of time, I'd rather them run uphills than do strength work. 
But if it's a, what's my general approach to working with someone with a runner and they don't want to do strength work, but they want to run up hills, well, I say, well, if that's what you enjoy, fine, but it's probably not physically making you stronger. Um, but what if we give you something that makes you stronger, that helps you run up hills? Now we've got the best of both worlds, potentially. Um, but again, you know, I think on, running up hills, making you stronger is, is one element of that specific question. Um, the other part of that question that spills over is some people just don't want to do strength training and that's okay. I never force it on anyone. I never make anyone do it. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Would you like to discuss it further? You know, we, we have some athletes that are robust and some that are fragile naturally. I've worked with runners who can tolerate 100 miles a week and I've, I've never done a strength exercise in their life. And even when I'm talking about then the evidence is really that strength training will make you perform better, they go, I don't need to perform better. I'm happy where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then I've had others who've, who've done all the right things and, and still can't get the performances or, or the sort of longevity in their running. So um, if someone turns to me and just goes, I enjoy running up hills, I don't want to do strength work. And again, perception and placebo being important with those humans again i feel stronger when i do hill running okay you know let's just go with that if if that's where you are at with it and and i'm not going to change your mind in the short term then so be it but the evidence tells us that that's not the same as running um as physically getting stronger and um so obviously legs appear to be the most important part of running, right? Well, <laughs> it's important part, maybe it's mindset. But um, what about, like, how does that then apply to actually strength training? Should we be doing core and upper body as well? Um, can we get away with just doing legs? And obviously you've spoken about progression, not perfection. So um, starting little, doing something's better than nothing. But um, is there much of a need to do upper body as a runner? I think there's some. That might be on a spectrum depending on the person. We obviously mm. run with our arms and our upper body. They're, mm. they're part of that propulsion um, and, and they can complement it, certainly around our trunk uh, and our sort of general lumbar, pelvic, hip sort of stability. Um, that's that's my clever way. I never like to say core stability. So that's my <laughs> little lumbar, pelvic, hip, everything from your nipples <laughs> to your bums. Um, I think that's really important in controlling unwanted movement as well as trying to help you with control of needed movement. Um, So, and particularly again, if you're a runner undertaking something like an ultra run where you're carrying your own weight or you're carrying your own equipment, then there's probably more element, more desire for that athlete for a period of time to have some upper body strength. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a standard prescription, but I generally would sort of throw five exercises into a session three would be lower limb one would be upper limb one would be some sort of trunk or core work um but what you can often find particularly those who uh, are less engaged or have less time with it is try and grab a a whole body compound bang for your buck type thing Mm. you know something like one and i don't get every athlete doing these because of competence and technical competence but something like an olympic lift sometimes is, is a really nice way to, to get people to, to have a bit of everything, primarily driven up through the legs, but there's some element of, of trunk or an upper body thrown in. And if, if I can only get you to do one or two exercises 
I'll probably try and incorporate a whole body exercise rather than a, a lower limb versus upper limb. Mm, nice. And then what about uh, those people who have a job which is quite physical? So maybe someone who's a laborer and they're doing a lot of manual handling throughout their day and they feel like firstly they're too tired maybe, um, which I mean obviously that's the whole sort of a separate barrier. You could be too tired from all sorts of jobs. Uh, but does that count as strength training? It, it does in some ways in the fact that what you generally find with those people is they have a baseline strength and, and resilience that's different to someone who doesn't work in that environment. They, they generally tend to be, um, you know, grip strength will be better and general body movement and control is, is often better. What you've got to think of sometimes is, is that strength that they do as an occupation directly correlated to what we need in a strength for running capacity. So if they are, you know, and again, if there's someone uh, trying to think of actual cases, um, uh, brick carriers, I've had a couple of them come in. So lots of heavy weight on their shoulders going up and down ladders. And there's not many of them around these days. They've got all these bloody fancy machines now that, <laughs> convey the bricks up to the things. But um, but I remember a couple of those coming through where uh, legs were literally spent at the end of the day. They were struggling to even run because of the amount of leg work in the day. Yeah, I have to be very careful. In, in It's not so much like they don't need it, but I have to be careful how I throw extra stuff in or, or when I throw it in. Um, a lot of it depends. Rather than it being a yes or no answer, what am I seeing in clinic? If they've come to me because they've got an injury and strength might be part of the answer to that and some of that strength may need to be different to the strength things they do as an occupation, I'm probably going to throw something in in a manageable context to them. Um, if they come to me and say, you know, I'm uh, generally strong, I do this in work and I'm fatigued afterwards, then maybe we run with with the run in and see where we get and and always keep it as something to check and review all the time. Maybe their job changes. Maybe uh, their running suffers, and we do need to to look at it a bit closer. But um, but I think if someone comes to me and they're strong generally through work, I'm less. It slips down the peck in order a little bit about how much I need to investigate or intervene with with strength based stuff versus the sedentary work from home, work in an office, mm. that type of person where I go, well, yeah, we probably need to think about this as more of a primary concern. Yeah, mm. cool. Um, and we've probably got time for just one of our listener questions. Now, this is from Blake Withers from the Sports Medicine Project, one of our podcast friends. Um, now, he asks, how do you optimize strength and running for the injured athlete? Um, now, obviously, a little bit broad so go as deep as you want to go but what are your thoughts yeah. on when someone's injured how do you manage I guess their running load and their strength load yeah yeah and it's a great question because the two things do work in tandem um I think although they work in tandem it's slightly separate answers my overarching mantra when someone's injured and they come to see me is that my ultimate aim with their running is to modify not stop if I can um mm. It's too easy and it's too lazy to just say, well, if running hurts, stop running. Of course, there are certain injuries. There are certain times, whether it's just through pain response or significance or type of injury that they've got that we may need to stop them for a period of time. But most of the time, I look at the threshold they can tolerate and bring it down and, and keep them there. 
Um, if the strength aspect is something that's an inherent part of their um, rehab, then that will take priority for me at that point. It'll be very much a, this is the key things I need you to do. So the running has been brought down to a point or replaced with something that's to a point where I'm not really trying to develop your cardiovascular capacity during the early stages of this rehab process. Let's strength, strength, strength to, to do it. Now, the strength type of thing you do might be a generic couple of times a week thing. It may be more of a, uh, like a, a tenderly rehab, heavy loading, day on, day off type bias plan, depending on what we're seeing. And then my general mantra with it all is build up to the maximum effective dose they can tolerate in rehab before stripping it back down to the minimum effective dose. So what's the least amount that you need to keep doing to maintain the gains we've made while I now push you running back up? And often that minimum effective dose, I think, is the bits that missed I'll see, I get a lot of sort of second opinion stuff or um, I'm not getting to where I needed to be. And they turn up to me and they'll bring their rehab plan from the, their last sort of visit somewhere. And it's this big, huge, thick folder of papers or online stuff. And it's the most, un, you know, everything in there would make sense, but not all together all at the same time. And some of them have even come to me going, well, I had this problem. It's gone. I'm back running. But do I still need to do all of these all the time forever? Right? No, let's strip it right back mm. down. It's, you know, once, twice a week, these ones, um, and then up your running as well. So, so it's, it's a bit of a seesaw. Let's bring your, your running down to a manageable level. Cause again, if you've got one of those injured runners who is resistant to resistance training, doesn't see it, doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to buy into it. Runners want to run at the end of the day. I might have to sort of juggle the whole sort of give you a little bit of what you want, even if it's more than I want you to really do to get you to buy into doing this stuff. Oh, Mike wants me to do this strength stuff, but you know what? He didn't tell me to stop running. He tried his hardest to get me to a level I could still continue to run in some capacity. That means a lot to me. I'm going to do some of the strength work. And again, being realistic, it, it's, I might want them to do four times a week, but if they're going to do twice a week and that's what I'm going to get out of them, then fine, let's make the twice a week count. And, and I'll explain the benefits of maybe a bit more. And if they want to buy into it, they do. And if they don't, they don't. And and I don't take it personally. I just go, right, cool. Let's work with what we've got. Um, and just just juggle that then back and forth. But again, it's the, the key thing with it all is, is that, if Sophie comes into clinic to see me with, with an Achilles problem and she's a runner and this is what's going on, a week later when Lydia comes in, I'm not just going, right, mm. this is what I did for Sophie. I'm giving it to Lydia. That's that's mm. the most important bit for us as therapists, I think, to just go, yes, there's themes and trends and frameworks and concepts that I'm going to stick to. But they're two different people with similar issues, but they're not going to need an, an answer that's exactly the same. Lydia might be really versed in strength training, knows what she wants to do, knows how to do it, and I can really work there, or vice versa with Sophie, or Sophie's tendon will quite happily absorb more running whilst we're still doing strength work, while Lydia's won't. So it's just taking the time to work out the person individually, rather than going, if a runner comes in with this, I stop this and I start this, or they mm -hmm. always get this much. 
And, you know, I've worked in places where, and again, best intentions, but I'm watching therapists before the patients come into clinic printing out their exercises. <laughs> and I'm like, and it's mainly because, you know, they've got a jam-packed diary, they've got no lunch hour, they're trying to just get out of the game. But I'm like, how is that optimal? Mm. You know, don't you've written out six exercises. You don't know what they want, what they need. Um, how about you just do one exercise and really work them hard on that exercise and, and do that exercise based on what you see, find and listen to in clinic. And they're probably going to do it more as well if you've just given them the one. So um, so it's a bit of a, a wishy-washy answer in, in the fact there's no black and white with it, mm. but it's it's the balancing act of modify the run to the level that doesn't aggravate but keeps them engaged if possible and then layer on as much strength as you can that keeps them engaged and then just do this all the way back up mm. which is the worst answer on a podcast no. start, start using your arms and your hands to <laughs> them stuff. i can imagine oh that's good i think your philosophy on all of this is it's really inspiring. I think a good reminder for us as clinicians and for the runners listening to treat themselves as an individual and make sure that the treatment that they're getting is based on what they're presenting with and not just um, a cookie cutter approach. And I think, yeah, it's really nice to hear that. So thank you so much for diving into all of that today. Hi, everybody. It was wonderful to join Lydia and Sophie this morning to chat on the Stronger Stride podcast. Unfortunately, because we went off on so many tangents, then we missed some of the listener questions that were submitted. So I wanted to record the answer. I'll send it to the girls and, and hopefully it finds its way to you um, to give the people who took the time, the listeners to submit questions, the answers that they wanted. So we addressed the one on the podcast about how do you optimize strength and running for the injured athlete. Next question was, when should I do plyometrics and what is the benefit? Really interesting question because I think there's multiple times and places this can be done. Let's take an injury rehab um, scenario first. Often when we are injured, we tend to stop running or minimize running. And it's when pain goes away or we sort of guesstimate that we're all right to go again, we tend to just start running again. And sometimes that causes a recurrence of the problem or just delays return to full running. So I like to use plyometrics in that instance as a bridge between uh, walking pain-free, having full impact free, pain-free, and then proper run training. And it might be in the shape of hopping on the spot, single leg jumps, might be some skip rope work, it may be some gentle bouncing, lunging type things. Um, as a confidence builder that if I'm all right tolerating that increase in forces from walking and weight bearing to that, then I'm probably ready to start a structured return to, to run program. And I think that's perhaps the problem with, with plyometrics. People tend to see it as this dynamic, hard, jumping on and off boxes, you know, high jump, long jump type training um, scenario. So, so it can be dumbed down, for want of a better phrase, in rehab. At the start of a training plan, I might be wanting to build someone's resistance up through strength work, and part of that would be plyometrics. Or of course, for some people, it may be to target specific dimensions we're trying to improve in preparation for certain events, races, depending on their demands. So, um, so there's multiple scenarios of plyometrics where it will kick in. Um, the benefits are multifactorial. Obviously, for some, it's to increase the ability to tolerate forces, either through certain structures like tendons 
or just confidence and general um, resilience and strength. For others, it might be that a certain type of race demands a certain type of because of surface or the speed they're running or whatever that we want to improve the ability to absorb and absorb forces and then spring lever themselves forward and therefore plyometrics might be a really nice thing to do that as well. Um, the third of four questions was what are your go-to exercises for runners? This is that classic one, I don't have any. There are things I use more frequently than others because they seem to fit things. But if you remember back on the podcast, I sort of said, I never pre-prescribe exercises. Nobody gets the same plan. There are variations on a theme based on the individual. I'll try to answer the question because I don't want it to be a fluff answer that doesn't give you anything to take away. Um, I generally like, and it's at different times in a plan or uh, different periods, different people. But generally, you'll find most of my athletes having some double leg compound type movement. A deadlift, a squat, a lunge. I know that would be classed more of a single leg, but that type of movement pattern. Um, and going heavy-ish on those I quite like. I'm a big fan of something like a multi-hip banded movement. Look on any of my social media. It's a post I, I regularly post. Or again, message me on social media and I can send you the link. But it's the sort of standing on one leg with a resistance band on the other, going into hip flexion, extension, abduction. Because it's got bang for your buck, it's got real good stability work in the single leg stance, the leg that's not moving, which is fundamentally important for runners. And then that movement control and strength through the standing, or sorry, the working leg as well. And I use them both sides. Um, and of course, for most, I do throw some element of calf strengthening in. Um, we know the soleus particularly, but the gastroc as a whole are the main propulsion mechanism for us runners. So most people will end up with some heavy strength-based movement to, to generate that propulsion element. Um, there's other things I tend to add in and out depending on the person's needs, but most would fit that type of strategy. And then the final ones, should runners be doing strength all year round? Um, that's an it depends answer on the, the runner, their race schedule, their, their goals for the season. Um, some form of strength training, potentially, yes, but it will vary, it will periodise. When you think of our running plans, most people don't run hard all year round. Most people don't do short, sharp work or long, easy work constantly throughout the year. We go through a periodised training plan where... If we're training for a shorter race and we're looking at speed, we'll have a block of speed work supplemented by some moderate long distance work. But if we're training for a marathon or an ultra, then we'll tend to maybe drop off some of the speed work and do more longer runs. But we tend not to do the same things all the time. So that's generally my approach to the strength work. What I would generally say to most people is let's have a out of season 12 to 16 week heavy strength development block. And that always comes to me at the period of time in the year where the runner's running is less important and we can focus on the strength. And then whenever running becomes a priority because of a race plan being engaged for an event or a season or whatever it is we're doing, strength becomes more of a maintenance thing for me. It might still be relatively hard when we do it, but it's once a week instead of two or three times a week. And the priority session will be the... Um, the uh, run and therefore that also answers the question as much as the science says 
there's certain times and look for work by Rich Blagrove for telling you the gaps of how long between intense runs and intense strength sessions, so on and so on. But as a general rule of thumb, if I'm in a strength biased plan and my running is just being ticked over maintaining, make run the session that has the priority that day. And if I'm in a run biased one, it's the run that's the priority session and the strength fits in. Even if it becomes suboptimal for what I could do fresh, it doesn't matter because it's the run that's the priority stuff. There are periods where I might get athletes certainly in heavy training, big heavy six week blocks or regular consistent races. You might have a series of races over six, eight weeks where I may pause the strength work. We'll either drop it down to like 50% intensity and just tick over with that. Or I might say, look, you know, bang's not worth the buck right now. Juice isn't worth the squeeze. It's going to be detrimental to our run. And off the back of that period of time off, maybe we do a mini priority strength plan to boost ourselves back up. Um, some people will have a very deliberate. I work with one guy right now who does um, every year. It's the London Marathon in April and it's a 100 mile trail race in July. And that's his two set in stone compass points every year. So he does a heavy winter block October to Christmas, doesn't do much until April, does a little bit more for about six weeks, then focuses on his, his ultra and then repeats. So for him, it's not an all year round thing. He's got a regular period where it fits into his year, but it's not a constant thing. So it's quite individual. Um, again, remember, like we chatted about in, in the podcast, it's progress, not perfection. So even if sometimes I think it would be good for them to do something all year round, it may not be that it's a structured plan. Maybe I'll get them to go to their local body pump class. Maybe I'll get them to do some body weight stuff at home. Sometimes some people might want to do like a press-up challenge for a couple of weeks. And if it's a period where it doesn't conflict with anything else that's going on, cool, that will tick the box for some strength work. Hope that helps. As always, you can drop me a message on social media or mike at theendurancephysio.com if there's any follow-up questions to these or you've thought of any following the podcast. But um, great being able to share some time with you guys and hope you're safe and well. Um, one final question for you is your favourite pair of running shoes? Oof. Oof. As, Only as, one. As someone who advocates on have multiple pairs, different brands, <laughs> different types, rotate them around. Yes. I am. Um, I'll go off topic and say the last couple of years, and it's absolutely anecdotal. There's no, there's no <laughs> sort of rhyme or reason or science behind it, but I seem to have this draw towards hawkers in the last few years, mm-hmm. um, or all types. I've not got, I've not, I've genuinely not gone anywhere near carbon shoes yet. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, uh, I, I probably partly I'm not competitive enough right now <laughs> to be worrying about how fast a, a shoe is going to make me. But the hawkers and the maximalist stuff, I'm I'm personally enjoying running in. Mm-hmm. I find nice. them um I find them quite comfortable. Make you a little bit taller as well. <laughs> Just, uh, Which ones are you wearing at the moment? Uh any of the I've got a couple off-road I'm wearing the speed goats. Nice. Quite like them. But the um Maffetes are quite nice and then the Clifton's normally for for the for the road stuff and i think they're on like seventh generation or something now yeah. so i probably had everything back from about three nice. and, um, and i i'm one of these people who tends to because i cycle my shoes through i, I never wear the same pair of shoes running two runs in a row mm-hmm. i will just grab a different pair every time um 
I've got certain types of ones I prefer for a longer run or a speed session, but generally it's always wear a different one every time to just share the loads and the stress. So by adopting that policy, some of my shoes last forever. Mm. So I've got, um, I'm probably running in a Clifton three, four, five, six, all at the same time sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. and I can't even tell them apart, to be honest. But but the hawkers have definitely got me the last few years where and we've got a there's a there's an online sports shop in the UK, which um is one of these things that there's always a bloody sale on. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if you if you play your cards right on there, you can pick them up re- almost half price sometimes. Mm. So now and again it'll be a might grab a couple of pairs all at once and just stockpile. <laughs> so if there's ever a, a nuclear war, I'm, I'll be able to run forever. Me, <laughs> That's it. You'll be sorted. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah, I love my hookers. My hookers, they're great. And yeah, rotating through shoes is awesome. I feel like my um shoe situation is quite similar. There's like so many and sometimes I'm like, I need to go through them. I'm like, oh, but they're, they're all good. They're just all at different stages stages you know <laughs> but you got them all there on rotation so that's good um your yeah your training philosophy and coaching um perspective is inspiring and refreshing so thank you so much i've just yeah, loved this you. chat with Thanks you and for the invite it's been fun talking yeah it's really it's really been so great makes me excited to get out and train and also to just be a better physio be a better clinician so yeah, thank you so much for your time. I'm really stoked no to have you No problems, no problems. What I would what I would always say, particularly if there's a therapist or runners listening, I mentioned at the start about it's just a case of being old. <laughs> it's taken it's taken me 30 years to get mm. to this point. I've made all the mistakes, both as a therapist and a runner. So if the people are listening, don't beat themselves up. It just takes time. You have to go through the process on both sides of the fence. And some of the best learning things to help me evolve to where I am today are the mistakes that I made in the past. So mm-hmm. um, so nobody should be sort of, if you make a mistake, you know, it's making the same mistake repeatedly and not learning from it is the only thing that's going to hold you back as a runner or as a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. Make a mistake, learn from it, move on again. I, I would cringe if I saw some of my patients from 20 years ago because some of the stuff I spouted back then was just garbage but you didn't know what you didn't know at the time yeah mm, so exactly. um so just just hang around until you're old gray and crusty and you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> so good thank you so much and if people are wanting to chat to you a bit further or work with you online or maybe if we've got some south welsh listeners um yeah. they can reach out to you is the best way to do that through instagram or is there a yeah any or? of the social media ones and, and the yep. endurance pt or the endurance physio on most things or I have the really unimaginative email of Mike at the endurancephysio.com. <laughs> so, uh, so you'll find you'll find me most places on social media. Awesome. Thank you so much. We definitely recommend checking out Mike's post if you're not already. Um, and yeah, we look forward to the next instalment. Definitely. Yeah, thanks, Mike. That's awesome.